everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. I'm recording here in beautiful Pauley's Island, South Carolina, so I'm both working through my vacation and braving the impending NFL trade deadline to bring you this Tuesday edition of the podcast. This episode is going to cover the Week 9 waiver wire. If you're interested in recommended fab bids, check out my article on footballoutsiders.com. And if I post this before news of any major trade breaks, feel free to ask me questions on Twitter at Scott underscore Spratt. But first, let's go ahead and jump back to last Thursday's game between the Redskins and Vikings. This game had a few notable things. One, Dwayne Haskins came in late in this game, went three for five for 33 yards, threw another pick. I still think he's probably weeks away from becoming an every week starter, so you can probably ignore him for now in fantasy. The big player you probably want to add for the Redskins is Darius Geis. He's on track to return from injured reserve in week 11. And given that Adrian Peterson has negative 15.7% DVOA this season, I expect Geis is probably going to just take back over as the early down lead back for this team and could be very productive for you over the second half of the season. Probably a little bit like Peterson, where it's really more matchup specific and he'll need touchdowns to buoy his fantasy production. But I think even in shallow formats, he could be a flex-worthy player. You should pick him up now before he gets more expensive leading into week 11. For the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, 23 of 26, so obviously very efficient from a completion perspective, but just 26 total attempts. I think this is going to consistently be an issue with Cousins, where in some matchups where the team can pull ahead and run the ball more heavily, he's going to have very few pass attempts, and that makes him more of a pa- uh, more of a matchups play, I think, than many considered him after his streak of three touchdowns over a few uh, games in a row there, so... You know, I would leave him on the waiver wire or not spend a ton on him if he's still there for you and just play him in your best matchups. Maybe use him more in DFS. Meanwhile, I think Adam Thielen is going to return in week nine. That'll be 10 days or so removed from the Thursday week eight game. So I think by then he'll be fully healthy. So you can go ahead and drop BC Johnson in your deeper formats as well. Next up, we have the Seahawks and Falcons matchup. Uh, This game notable in that Rashad Penny carried eight times for 55 yards. He didn't have a target, but played 30% of the team's snaps. I still don't know whether he's the real backup right now to Chris Carson or whether C.J. Procise is because Procise was inactive for this game. That comes a week after Penny didn't play despite being active, or he may have had like one or two snaps but didn't take a touch. So I think it kind of remains to be seen which one of them is the player to own behind Carson, although I guess if Carson went down, Penny would be the one more likely to pick up a heavy volume of work. But neither player needs to be owned in shadow leagues for the time being. The player that does need to be owned in shadow leagues is D.K. Metcalf, the rookie receiver, Just three catches for 13 yards in Sunday's game, but had two touchdowns. Um, He also had five targets, which was the second most on the team. Most of this is really about touchdowns. Metcalf is up to 14 end zone targets. Only Mike Evans with 11 and Kenny Galladay with 11 are in double digits along with him. And since Will Disley went down with an injury, Metcalf has been targeted in the end zone even more than even before. Meanwhile, he's up to a 22.8% wide receiver and tight end target share. That's the 36th among receivers. So the way I characterize this is saying that Metcalf is kind of like last year's Calvin Ridley. He may only be top 40 in terms of workload, but the touchdowns are going to buoy him to make him a wide receiver three, if not even better in fantasy for you for the rest of the season. At tight end for the Seahawks, Luke Wilson, just one catch for seven yards on one target. Jacob Hollister, a little bit more work like the previous week, two catches for 18 yards on two targets. But Wilson had more playing time, 70% of the offensive snaps versus 36% for Hollister. I don't think either one of these players demands to be owned in fantasy, even in your deeper format. So you can sort of leave them out there and then kind of rely probably more on the wide receivers in Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for their offensive production for fantasy. For the Falcons, Matt Schaub, substituting for Matt Ryan, uh, had a very nice day, 39 for 52 for 460 yards and a touchdown, as well as one interception. 
I think that probably demonstrated that Schaub is a capable backup in an offense that's probably going to generate a lot of garbage time opportunities. But the Falcons are actually entering their bye week in week nine. So you can probably leave Schaub on your waiver wires. Ryan should be healthy in time to return for week 10. And the same is true for Brian Hill, backup running back who played for Ido Smith. Ido Smith has actually suffered two concussions so far this season. So there really isn't any guarantee that he'll be back in week 10 or any point for the rest of the season. But he'll play just 14% of the team's offensive snaps behind Devontae Freeman. So he would really be a deep league option only if Smith continued to miss time as the second running back. In contrast, Russell Gage, the wide receiver, seven catches for 58 yards on nine targets. There were a lot of aim targets in this game, 49. So it kind of buoyed a lot of people's workloads. But Gage was up to a 59% um, of the playing time of the offensive snaps. It looked like to me that he basically took over Mohamed Sanu's role in its entirety, much so than much more so than Justin Hardy, who barely played. So I think if you were in a league deep enough where you were relying on Sanu while he was on the Falcons, go ahead and pick up Gage. It seems like he's probably going to be a pretty effective substitute. He's available in virtually every league. Meanwhile, Calvin Ridley did see an increase in workload up to seven targets in this game. Um, He actually left the game for a while for a possible concussion, but he cleared the protocol and returned to the game later. So he'll probably get even more work in the future. After week nine, I think he could actually end up being a top 20 wide receiver for you over the second half of the season. Next up, we have the Eagles at Bills. Carson Wentz, just 17 of 24 for 172 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Since Deshaun Jackson played in week one and has missed the rest of the season, Wentz is averaging just 215 passing yards and 1.6 passing touchdowns per game. He really needs Jackson back. I think Jackson's going to come back in week nine, although I've said that several weeks before. They really need him. Jackson has a 32.7% DVOA on the season. All of the other Eagles wide receivers are either neutral or negative in DVOA. And even their tight ends are are struggling a little bit compared to previous years. At running back, Jordan Howard, he had most of the workload in this game, 23 carries versus just three for Miles Sanders. Although Sanders broke a big one and had a touchdown. Sanders also contributed more in the passing game, three catches for 44 yards. And I think we've pretty much figured out the Howard and Sanders split at this point where Howard is getting more of the early down work, getting more of the goal line work, but Sanders is getting more passing work and is breaking some big plays to boy some fantasy value in deeper formats. Meanwhile, Boston Scott, five carries, just six yards, but scored a touchdown, didn't have a target in this game, and only played nine snaps. So I would say you generally can probably leave him on your wire, even in deeper formats, but it's also possible that his lack of use in this game was game script related. Uh, The Eagles handled the Bills pretty effectively in this game, and so they didn't really need to rely on a pass-catching option at running back to help them uh, catch up in the game. So Scott may have more value in the future, but I don't think he demands to be owned, even in deeper formats. Zach Ertz, just two catches for 20 yards on four targets in this game. I wouldn't be too worried. 28.8% of the wide receiver and tight end target share, that's still fourth highest among all tight ends in football this season, but he isn't having the kind of year that he had last year. So I'm not sure he is a guaranteed top three option for you, the position over the second half of the season. Really, Dallas Goddard has been more effective in fantasy of late. Just five targets this last week, but three catches, 22 yards, and a touchdown. He didn't have four more targets in any of the first five weeks this season, but has had four more in three straight games. And over those three games, he has a 21.6% wide receiver and tight end target share. It's actually 10th highest among all tight ends. It's a small sample, but I'm thinking that Goddard could probably be a pretty effective tight end two for you over the rest of the season. They're playing a lot more two tight end sets because of the struggles of their wide receivers. Uh, For the Bills, Devin Singletary, he had pretty modest totals of three three carries for 19 yards, four catches for 30 yards, although the touchdown receiving. But he had six targets in this game and played 68% of the Bills offensive snaps versus just 29% for Frank Gore. 
I think that also might be a little bit game script related since the Bills were down. They needed the pass catching option there in Singletary. But I also think Singletary has upside as a workhorse running back. So I'm definitely picking him up in my shallow formats. I think he could be effective for you if he ever gets that increased role. I think a breakout game is probably coming because he's so efficient. It's just not that Gore's been bad, but Singletary has outperformed him and about everybody else in terms of efficiency so far this season. And then among the receivers for the Bills, uh, Cole Beasley of note, three catches for 41 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. But he played 79% of the offensive snaps versus 66% for Duke Williams. It's kind of a three wide receiver set thing here, but John Brown is clearly the number one option for this team, while Beasley and Williams may take some uh, fantasy shine away from each other. So something to keep in mind in your shallower formats if you're relying on Beasley. Next up, we have the Chargers at Bears. Uh, the Chargers, there's not really much new here other than the fact they fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Wisenhunt. That's going to promote quarterbacks coach Shane Stachin to call plays. I probably called him by the wrong name there, but hopefully I'll get to know him a little bit more in future weeks. I don't really have a lot of optimism, obviously, <laughs> by my lack of awareness about him, but I don't really think it's his fault or any coach's fault. I just don't think a coach can fix the fact that they have a bottom 10 adjusted line in adjusted line yards and adjusted sack rate. Too many offensive line injuries, too many other injuries for this team. It's just causing problems for them in fantasy. Now for the Bears, David Montgomery, huge game here, 27 carries for 135 yards and a touchdown, also four catches for 12 yards on five targets. He took 27 of the team's 34 running back carries, so I think you can make the case that he's the only Bears running back that needs to be owned in fantasy, although he's owned in virtually every format at this point, so there's no real need to do anything about that in fantasy. Um, among the wide receivers, though, Anthony Miller continues to do a little bit for deeper league concerns here. Three catches for 67 yards on three targets. He played 51% of the offensive snaps in this game versus 23% for Javon Wims. So I think he's clearly been promoted to the number three receiver in this offense, although I'm not sure how valuable that's going to be in fantasy with the way that Mitchell Trubisky is playing. Possibly could get see a boost if Chase Daniel ends up taking this job later in the season. But for now, Miller may be a deep league option, but nothing more. For the Giants and Lions, Daniel Jones had a big game here, 28-41 for 322 yards, four touchdowns, um, but he only ran four times for 13 yards. He had thrown exactly one touchdown in his previous four games. So while this four-touchdown game was great if you played him in fantasy, I'm not sure it, it suggests big things are coming for him in the future. He has a negative 27.4% DVOA this season, which is near the bottom of the, the league in terms of efficiency. Not that you would expect anything different from a rookie quarterback necessarily, but it's not somebody that I'm jumping to pick up in fantasy. I thought that Jones might be able to be productive as a runner, which would kind of buoy his fantasy production the way that, say, Josh Allen has done. But Jones has averaged just 22 rushing yards per game this season, and he hasn't run in a rushing touchdown since his first start of the season against the Buccaneers. So I think that game was more of an outlier, and Jones' production here was probably just kind of a one-time sort of deal. He was facing a gettable Lions defense that I think is down to number 22 in DVOA pass defense, and they were missing Darius Slay, their top corner, but I'm not even really considering Jones a matchup play in fantasy right now in shallower formats. That said, Jones is playing well enough that I'm considering using Golden Tate in shallow formats. He had eight catches for 85 yards on 10 targets this week. That was tied for the most on the team. He has a 30.5% wide receiver and tight end target share since his return to the team in week five. That's top 20 at the position, and I think that makes him a flex option, especially in PPR formats. Gary Slayton had the best fantasy day of his, his pass catching options with two catches, 50 yards, and two touchdowns on five targets. He also played 84% of the offensive snaps. He's been starting opposite Tate as the outside receiver in this offense the last couple of weeks. But as soon as Sterling Shepard comes back, and I think Shepard could play soon, if not even in week nine, 
that's going to relegate Slayton to the number three tight end or number three wide receiver on this team and probably number four or five pass catching option. So Slayton's fantasy value for at least for 2019 could be coming to an end pretty soon. Uh, meanwhile, for the Lions here, Trey Carson kind of came in and surprised everybody, uh, in particular me, who was relying on Ty Johnson in the league. Getting the start, carrying the ball 12 times for 34 yards, didn't have any targets. Um, but interestingly with Johnson, even though he didn't start early in this game, he ended up with seven carries for 25 yards and one catch for 13 yards on four targets. And Johnson actually played more snaps, 40%, compared to 30% for Trey Carson. The way that I sort of shake this out is I think that this has kind of become a similar breakdown to what they had in a workload split last year between LeGarrette Blunt and Kerry and Johnson, where Carson is playing more the LeGarrette Blunt role and Ty Johnson is playing more the Kerry and Johnson role. Carson's a lot bigger at five foot eleven and two hundred and twenty-eight pounds, whereas Johnson's just five ten, two ten. And Johnson averaged eleven yards per reception in college, which is just seven point oh for Carson. So I think their skill sets kind of lend themselves to that type of usage. It's obviously disappointing for people that spent a lot of fab money to pick up Johnson and thought he might end up being a workhorse the way that Kerry and Johnson had become. But I actually do think Johnson is going to have more fantasy value than Trey Carson the rest of the season and will definitely be more consistent getting his work as a passing, a pass catching running back, whereas Carson may only be carrying the ball and getting some of those in close touchdowns. Uh, for the Lions receivers, Danny Amendola, another nice day here. Eight catches for 95 yards on eight targets, tied for the most on the team. He's been kind of a hit-and-miss kind of receiver this season. He's at eight-plus targets in three games and a combined seven targets in his other three games combined. And I do think that it's it's become a little clear that you can play the matchups with him. His three games where he had eight or more targets have come against teams that are bad against slot receivers or other receivers. The Cardinals, are, uh, the Cardinals Vikings, the Giants are all bottom 13 or so in uh, DVOA defense against other wide receivers, whereas the Chargers are 23rd, Eagles 12th, and Packers 14th, more middle of the pack against those other receivers. So that's something to keep in mind if you want to try to play the matchups with Amendola over the rest of the season. He has another Vikings matchup uh, that could be a good test for him, and then he gets the Redskins in the second half of the season as well. Those may be the best opportunities to use Amendola in fantasy the rest of the way. Next up, we have the Bucks at Titans. Uh, coming off the, the Bucks by, I thought that maybe Ronald Jones would get a little bit more work, but he saw just 12 touches versus 11 for Peyton Barber. Uh, Jones has been much more efficient, both as a rusher and receiver in terms of DVOA this season, but he's just not getting the workload to justify owning him in shallow format. So you can go ahead and let him go. Uh, Mike Evans, huge day, 11 catches for 198 yards and two touchdowns on 12 targets. Chris Godwin, just four for 43, but at eight targets, both of these guys are incredibly valuable in fantasy. Um, although Evans in particular seems to be big time hit or miss option for everybody this season. So a little unfortunate, but there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to play him every week and hope for the best. Uh, Cameron Blake, Brait, three catches for 32 yards on six targets. OJ Howard was inactive uh, for this game with an injury. It's possible that he gets traded in the next few hours or next hour or so. So we'll see how that plays out. That would maybe free up Brait to be a tight end two every week. But if not, Howard's going to be back in a week or two, and I think that's going to relegate Brait back to being a player you don't want to use in fantasy. Not that you necessarily want to use Howard in fantasy in shallow formats, the way that he's not getting targeted in that offense. Now for the Titans, uh, Ryan Tannehill, low-volume passing day, uh, just 21 completions for 193 yards, but threw three touchdowns. I'm not going to read too much into this. This is a very strange game where the Buccaneers turned the ball over three times on their side of the field. So Tannehill came in on offense several times, basically already in the red zone, and I think that led to his lack of yards per attempt efficiency there. 
He did throw the three touchdowns, though, so I'm sure fantasy owners were happy with it. And he's thrown five in his last two starts. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to continue, but I think it makes it clear that he's going to be the starter for a little while with Marcus Marietta on the bench. And I'm hoping still that that's going to improve the fantasy fortunes of both Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Neither player did a lot this week. Two catches for nine yards for Corey Davis, two for 11 for A.J. Brown, although he did have the touchdown. But again, I think that was a little bit a product of the fact that they just started on short fields, didn't have a lot of opportunities to throw the ball in space where these guys could have done some some work. I still think Corey Davis deserves to be owned in shallow formats, A.J. Brown in deeper formats. I'm going to hold on to those guys for a couple more weeks to see how Tannehill's passing offense plays out for the team. Meanwhile, Jonu Smith... He was playing a tight end there for an injured Delaney Walker and had an excellent day. Six catches for 78 yards and one touchdown on seven targets. I think he's a pretty clear handcuff for Delaney Walker. Not, that's not something that a lot of fantasy owners need to do at tight end, but it is kind of a, a bad position this season. So if you're even in a shallow format, if Walker continues to miss time with his ankle injury, Smith may be a good plug and play option. He's actually one of the positional leaders at 44.3% DVOA. So I think he's building value for himself, both from a dynasty perspective too, because Walker, again, I think is 36 or 37 years old. He probably doesn't have a lot more years of production for the Titans. So Smith could be a long-term play for you at deeper leagues too. Next up, we have the Broncos at Colts. Uh, the big news for the Broncos is that Joe Flacco is not going to play next week in week nine because of a herniated disc in his neck. I'm a little curious whether he suffered that injury late last week or whether this is something that came up after he criticized the team's play calling. But either way, it makes sense for the bad Broncos to go with a younger player at quarterback. Allen is a former six-round pick in 2016. He's never played in a regular season game in the NFL. He played at Arkansas, and his overall 57% completion percentage is pretty uninspiring there. Um, but he did get better every year, peaking in his senior season with a 66% completion rate. So in a very deep format, maybe you could take a look. Um, but I would say in most deeper formats, the player you're probably more interested in is Drew Locke, their 2019 rookie draft pick from the second round. He's eligible to return from injured reserve in week 11, and right now, I think it's unclear whether he's going to end up playing for the team at any point this season. He obviously hasn't been able to practice. The injury he had was a thumb injury to his throwing hand. So he's been sidelined entirely for the last couple of months. But, you know, chances the chances are that he could end up getting in there late in the season. Maybe worth considering in your deeper and dynasty formats. Um, but, yeah, right now, there's probably not a lot to get excited about in the Broncos passing attack. Um, if you are in a league where you need to rely on every player getting work, I will mention that uh, following the Emmanuel Sanders trade, Deshaun Hamilton didn't have a target but played 62% of the offensive snaps, while Fred Brown had two targets playing 63% of the offensive snaps. So this guy seems like they're maybe splitting a little bit of the work behind Cortland Sutton. I think Sutton is probably the only wide receiver you'd consider starting right now, even in deeper formats for the Broncos. But tight end Noah Fant, the rookie, five catches for 26 yards on eight targets, which led the team. Since none of those tight, none of the wide receivers behind Sutton got more than two targets, Fant looks like he may be the number two pass catching option in the offense. If you at least if you ignore the the running backs, so Fant may be worth picking up in your deeper formats, potentially even a top end tight end two over the rest of the season. Although he hasn't been tremendously efficient so far in his brief NFL career. Next up, we have the Bengals at Rams. The breaking news is that the Bengals have decided to bench their long-term starter, Andy Dalton, and go with their rookie, Ryan Finley, at quarterback. Uh, Finley was a fourth-round pick this last year, coming out of NC State. He's not a top-level prospect, but he had pretty good completion percentage numbers in college, so 
playing in a Bengals offense that tends to go down in games, they may have some chance to throw a lot of passes. Perhaps Finley could have some deeper league value for you in fantasy. I don't think he's going to sabotage the fantasy value of his receivers, where Alex Erickson, six more catches for 97 yards on Sunday, played 60% of the offensive snaps. He's had 27 targets in three games since John Ross's injury. Um, So he is probably worthy of a deep league flyer. Uh, Auden Tate getting even more work with 13 targets, playing 90% of the offensive snaps. I would say his longer term value depends on whether or not they successfully trade A.J. Green or not. But for as long as Green is out or if Green gets traded, Tate is going to be, I think, a viable option for you even in shallow formats along with Tyler Boyd. Keep in mind, though, the Bengals are on buy in week nine. So wait till week 10 before you can actually use those guys. Uh, for the Rams, Daryl Henderson, another nice day, 11 carries for 49 yards, two catches for 20 yards on three targets. He's had 23 touches the last two weeks with Malcolm Brown out. The Rams are also on buy in week nine, so I think Malcolm Brown is probably going to be back and healthy in week 10, which I assume is going to relegate Henderson back to more of a reserve role. Henderson's been pretty effective with a 3.2% DVOA this season, but Brown has been even better at 13.1%. So I'm going to say that Henderson is probably a handcuff to either Todd Gurley or Malcolm Brown. So if either one of those guys misses any time the rest of the season, you can expect these days with like 10 to 12 touches for Henderson. I think that gives him some value in deeper formats, but his days of, of getting those is the, the one of the primary options maybe on hold for a little while. And then at wide receiver, uh, Brandon Cook suffered a concussion in this game. It's actually the second time this season he's entered concussion protocol. So that's something to keep an eye on, even though they get the week off for the bye. If he really did suffer two concussions there this season, that could push him out for multiple weeks. Um, and as such, Josh Reynolds came in, had three catches for 73 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. He may be a plug-and-play option from Brandon Cooks. Although neither Cooks nor Wood, uh, Robert Woods has seen a, really a ton of targets this year. Cooks, just 16.1% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, is 66th among all wide receivers. And Woods, 21.5% is 40th at the position this season. So really the Rams have relied very heavily on slot receiver Cooper Cup and an increasing reliance on tight end Gerald Everett. So neither of these guys, I would say, needs to be owned in fantasy, in particular if you need to make a waiver wire move to deal with their week nine buy. I think you can drop Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. But in deeper leagues, you may want to pick up Josh Reynolds to see if he ends up starting for you in week 10. Next up, we have the Cardinals at Saints. Kyler Murray, 19 of 33 for 220 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, just two carries for 13 yards. It's a pretty meager day, although at the Saints, I think that's probably something you expected against that Saints defense. Meanwhile, Kyler Murray's got a very tough upcoming schedule. He's got a couple of games against the 49ers uh, on the the recent docket before their bye, so I'm not sure that you're going to want to use him in fantasy in the short term. It may actually be a good time to try to trade him if you can find an opponent that hasn't looked forward for his schedule. Meanwhile, the Cardinals traded for running back Kenyon Drake from the Dolphins. And given that they play this Thursday against the 49ers, I think Drake is probably going to end up being the featured back for the team. Chase Edmonds injured his hamstring last week and I think is going to miss several weeks, whereas David Johnson, who has missed a couple weeks already, is expected to miss one more this Thursday night. So Drake, probably the every down option. But again, again, against that 49ers team, I'm not sure how eager you're going to be to start him. I'll probably have him as more of a flex play than a, than a running back two this week. Uh, Christian Kirk returned to this lineup, eight catches for 79 yards on 11 targets, which led the team. He played 86% of the offensive snaps. So I think it's safe to say that he has recovered fully from his ankle injury that held him out for a month. He's actually led this team with a 31% wide receiver and tight end target share, even ahead of Larry Fitzgerald. 
that would actually be the 13th highest among all players this season if he had played the full season with that rate. So I think Kerf is going to be a pretty safe wide receiver three for you over the rest of the season, although you may want to wait until he gets through those 49ers matchup because they just really haven't allowed very much from their opposing, pass, opposing passers this season. Meanwhile, Drew Brees came back from his own injury, his thumb injury, with 34 of 43 passing for 373 yards and three touchdowns. Obviously, it looked fine. He's been pretty excellent so far this season, 29.9% DVOA. Note that he'll, he'll be on by this next week, but I think once he returns in week 10, you consider him either an every week Stark in your deeper formats, or if you're like me in a shallow format, you want to use him mostly in his home starts. I think he'll be as, uh, as valuable as he had previously been before the injury, so that's good to see. Latavius Murray had another huge day here, 21 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown, nine catches for 55 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets through the air as well. He's obviously probably the most valuable handcuff at the position right now, but Alvin Kamara with the week nine to buy to, to continue to rest up, I think he'll be back for week 10, at which point Murray will, will kind of revert to being a handcuff more than anything else. Next up, we have the Jets at Jaguars. For the Jets, Demariots Thomas, pretty meager fantasy day, five catches for 63 yards, but he had five targets and has 30.4% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share since joining the team in week five. That's 20th highest at the position. So I think Thomas in his better matchups, better than the Jaguars, for instance, is probably going to be pretty usable as maybe a wide receiver three for you in fantasy flex option. The tight end Ryan Griffin had four catches for 66 yards and two touchdowns on four targets, but I don't think he's going to have any long-term value. Chris Herndon, I think, is finally going to make it back for week nine, coming off his suspension and hamstring injury. And I actually think Herndon may be the most talented pass catcher on the team, maybe a top 10 tight end for you over the rest of the season, but that'll relegate uh, Ryan Griffin to more of a backup role. Uh, for the Jaguars, Nick Foles, he's throwing and practicing fully, so I think he's going to be back as soon as he's eligible from injured reserve in Week 11. But at this point, I really expect rookie Gardner Minshew to keep his job. Minshew has an 11.7% DVOA on the season, which leads all rookie passers. I just think he's played so well that even the financials aren't going to sway them. Uh, I think the Jaguars are going to stick with Minshew, and that means that you can leave Nick Foles on your bench, uh, leave, leave him on the waiver wire, in your, even in your deeper formats. Uh, in this game, D.D. Westbrook ended up injuring his shoulder and so left. I'm not sure right now exactly if he's going to miss any time, um, one week or multiple weeks. But for the time being, if you're in a deeper format, it may be worth your while to pick up Chris Conley. He had four catches for 103 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. Playing for Westbrook, ended up playing 74% of the offensive snaps, which is up for him in his typical role as the number three receiver for this team. So he may be a week or two option for you, even in shallower formats. And then rookie tight end Josh Oliver ended up getting into this game and seeing his first two targets of his career. He played 39% of the offensive snaps versus 59% for Seth DeValve, but at six foot five and 250 pounds, Oliver could be an impact receiver, maybe not this season, but in the long term for the Jaguars. He had 91 catches as both a, as combined as a junior and senior at San Diego State, and I think he has one of the highest upsides among pass-catching tight ends from this last rookie class. Next up, we have the Panthers at 49ers. Kyle Allen, tough day here against that number two DVOA pass defense 49ers. 158 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions. But Allen has already been declared the starter uh, for week nine against the Titans. So if you're waiting for Cam Newton, it's going to be at least one more week. Although hopefully this is giving him time to fully recover from his list Frank injury. Rookie Jordan Scarlett got into this game late for carries for nine yards, but he played just four total snaps versus 12 for Reggie Bonifon. So I think Bonifon continues to be the handcuff to own behind Christian McCaffrey. 
the real running back to, to own from this game was Tevin Coleman. 11 carries, 105 yards, and three touchdowns on the ground, plus another two for 13 in the touchdown in the air, so four total touchdowns. But before you rush out and, and declare Coleman to be a running back one and trade significant value for him, consider that he played just 48% of the offensive snaps versus 28% for Matt Breda and 21% for Raheem Mostart. I think Coleman is a safe, but definitely a running back two, not a running back one for the rest of the season. So I, I maybe it's a good time to try to trade him away if you can fetch better value, but he's obviously a player that you're going to want to have as well. Uh, the 49ers had traded for Emmanuel Sanders in time for him to play this last Sunday. He had four catches for 25 yards and a touchdown on five targets. Uh, that led all of the team's wide receivers and were second behind George Kittle. But note that the, the 49ers are averaging just 27 pass attempts per game versus 33 for his old team, the Broncos. It's really more of a game script thing. The 49ers have been so effective that they've been able to run the ball so heavily. I think Sanders is probably going to be a little bit less valuable, even as the clear number one receiver for the 49ers, than he was for the Broncos. So maybe drop him down to more of a wide receiver three in your estimations over the rest of the season. Meanwhile, rookie Debo Samuel came back from an injury, played 70% of the offensive snaps, second most among wide receivers. He'll probably be the number two wide receiver over the rest of the season, although Marquise Goodwin um, missed this game with an undisclosed personal issue, and I assume he'll be back in week nine uh, from that. So both of those guys could be involved in that role. I don't think you're going to really want to own either one of them, except in maybe very deep formats. Next up, we have the Browns at Patriots. Uh, another player that's kind of getting overlooked a little bit, I think probably because of the proximity of the trade deadline, is Kareem Hunt. He's actually expected to play for the first time in Week 10 coming off his suspension. Um, I don't, really don't know what this team is going to do but with, with him and Nick Chubb. Chubb has obviously been amazing as a runner um, both last year and this year with 1.1% and 14.8% DVOA. But he hasn't been excellent as a receiver, negative 4.6% and negative 17.3% DVOA as a receiver. Kareem Hunt in 2018, 9.1% DVOA as a rusher, very good. 79.4% DVOA as a receiver, incredible. So maybe it's a situation where Chubb gets more of the early down work and Hunt gets more of the later down work, but I don't know. I mean, Hunt is just a very effective player and would give their offense a little bit more versatility than even Chubb would do. So I'm going to say I expect Hunt to actually play a pretty good bit, and I would pick him up even in shallow formats if he's still available in your wire. He's available in about half of leagues right now. And then through their tight ends, uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, a week after he, or I guess a bye week after, he'd had a very nice game. No targets in this one, whereas Demetrius Harris, two catches for 33 yards and a touchdown on three targets. But Seals-Jones still paced the back, uh, the tight ends in terms of playing time. He had 46% of the offensive snaps versus just 21% for Demetrius Harris. So I, I still think that Seals-Jones is, of those two, the more attractive fantasy option over the rest of the season, although that more be may more be in the tight end three range than anything else. Uh, for the Patriots, they added Mohamed Sanu to, to uh, the team for this game. Sanu played 54% of the offensive snaps. And then the surprise to me was that Philip Dorsett continued to play 93% of the offensive snaps. He's been very effective this year with a 14.4% DVOA and seems to be kind of a featured touchdown scoring option for Tom Brady and his offense. So Dorsett, I think at this point, deserves to be owned in even shallow formats. This may be the way they use them the rest of the season, and that would mean that Sanu is kind of playing a similar role that he played for um, himself on the Falcons, whereas Dorsett is more of the Calvin Ridley role, which is, could have actually more fantasy value than even Sanu does. Although one potential monkey wrench for that plan would be Nikhil Harry, the first-round rookie pick from last year. He's eligible to return from injured reserve, I think, as soon as this week. It's unclear whether he's going to play now, but he may end up playing in the next couple of weeks. 
and could factor um, in there and maybe disrupt Dorsett's role on the team. I would own both players for the time being and sort of see how that shakes out. At tight end, Ben Watson ended up playing 70% of the snaps in this game, just one catch for 26 yards, but it's sort of a featured option there. I think Ryan Izzo is going to be back in week nine. He missed week eight with a concussion, and that may eat into Watson's work a little bit. But Watson, I expect to be the number one pass-catching tight end for this team the rest of the season, unless they end up trading for somebody. Um, So Watson, you can probably own in your deeper leagues as as a high upside uh, tight end three. Next up, we have the Raiders at Texans. Tyrell Williams returned from his month out with a foot injury, and I think quickly picked up his role as the number one wide receiver for the team. Three catches for 91 yards and a touchdown on six targets and played 89% of the offensive snaps. Uh, So far this season in five games played, he has five end zone targets and a 22.9% wide receiver and tight end target share. So I think he's going to be a relatively low volume but high touchdown scoring wide receiver too over the rest of the season. If he got dropped in any of your leagues, go ahead and pick him up. And then if you're trying to figure out who the number two wide receiver is for the Raiders, I think it seems more likely to be Hunter Renfro, the slot receiver, than Zay Jones their recent acquisition from the Bills. Uh, Jones played just 39% of the offensive snaps in this week. This was his second game with the team, so I think at this point you can go ahead and drop him. Whereas Renfro played 64% of the offensive snaps, had four catches for 88 yards and a touchdown, maybe getting more worked into this offense over the second half of the season in his rookie year. For the Texans, Kenny Stills, I mean, I thought this might be a good place to play him against a favorable matchup. Didn't do a ton uh, in this game, but played 96% of the offensive snaps, A big surprise here was that Kiki Cutie didn't play even though he was active and healthy. So at this point, I think it's pretty clear that Stills is the number two pass catcher behind DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller is still expected to miss a few more weeks with his hamstring injury. So for the time being, I think you can use Stills even in your shallow formats as maybe a high upside wide receiver three, wide receiver four type of player. Darren Fells had the most fantasy production for the Texans this last week. Six catches for 58 yards and two touchdowns and six targets. But keep in mind that the Raiders are the number 29-ranked DVOA defense against tight ends. So I think this is more of a matchups um, good game than anything else. And you can probably leave Fells on your waiver wire in your deeper formats. Moving on to the uh, Sunday night game, the Packers and Chiefs. For the Packers, Alan Lazard continued to have a, a nice show of things. Five catches for 42 yards. He's had at least 42 yards in three straight games. And he played 67% of the offensive snaps, which led all of the wide receivers on their team. He's got a 38.6% DVOA this season, which leads all of their wide receivers other than Devontae Adams. And I think he may end up becoming the number two wide receiver of this team when Adams returns. Marcus Valdez-Scantling, while dealing with a little bit of an injury the last few weeks, is down to a 62% uh, of the offensive snaps. Just one catch uh, for four yards on two targets this last week has been much less efficient than Lazard so far this season. And Lazard has the size to become a real red zone threat for this team. At this point, I think you can drop Valdez-Scantling in your shallow formats and pick up Lazard, at least in your deeper formats, to see if he ends up playing that that number two role for the team. For the Chiefs, Matt Moore was pretty effective with Patrick Mahomes absent, 24 for 36 for 267 and two touchdowns. But it sounds like Mahomes may be back a lot sooner than expected, possibly even in week nine, um, but more likely than in week 10. So I don't think you really need to pick up Matt Moore um, in your shallow or your deep formats right now. LaShawn McCoy uh, had nine carries for 40 yards, four catches for 23 yards on four targets. He took nine of the team's 18 running back carries. This this offense really goes back and forth on which running backs they want to use. But at this point, I think McCoy is, seems like the most likely guy to be the number one option for the team. Although Damian Williams is getting most of the goal line work, including scoring a touchdown in this game. So that limits McCoy's upside a little bit. Uh, Sammy Watkins returned 
with five catches for 45 yards on eight targets, he played 86% of the offensive snaps. That pushed Demarcus Robinson down to 64% of the offensive snaps and McCole Hardman down to 15%. So I think you can go ahead and drop Hardman in your shallower formats. And even Robinson may not be someone you want to play, even when Mahomes returns. And then finally, the Monday night game, Dolphins and Steelers. Uh, because the Dolphins ended up trading Kenyon Drake, Mark Walton ended up becoming the number one running back for this team. He had 11 carries and three catches on six targets on Monday night. He played 87% of the offensive snaps versus just 17% for Kalen Balage. So I think it's pretty clear that Walton is the number one guy there. He certainly played much better with a negative 3.5% rushing DVOA this season versus negative 21.5% for Balage. Plus, Walton is the guy that's involved as a pass catcher, and that's really what you need on the Dolphins considering their very unfortunate game scripts uh, while they tank this season. So Walton, go ahead and pick him up in your shallow formats. I think the catches are going to buoy his fantasy production and make him a flex option for you the rest of the way. Not sure Devontae Parker is going to end up being traded, but he's kind of making a case for himself as a fantasy option even on the Dolphins. Six catches for 59 yards on eight targets in this game, 18 total targets, 114 yards, and a touchdown in Ryan Fitzpatrick's two starts. And Parker also has three touchdowns in his last four games, period. Up to an 8.4% DVA on the season, he's playing very well, and Fitzpatrick is moving the ball, making him an effective fantasy option. Uh, for the Steelers, James Conner actually left this game late and actually was seen in a sling after injuring an AC joint in his shoulder. That could potentially cause him to miss some time. Reports are unclear at this point how much that would actually be. But I think that means that you should prioritize picking up first Jalen Samuels and then Benny Snell. Samuels has missed a few weeks after um, a knee surgery, a, a more minor knee surgery, but I think he's going to be back in week nine. And I think he would then be the, the featured back in that offense. He's certainly more of a pass catcher than Benny Snell. Although if Samuels couldn't make it back for week nine, that might leave the Steelers with no other option than to rely on Snell. So even in deeper leagues, you should pick him up and sort of wait that out and see how that goes. Among the receivers, Deontay Johnson, five catches for 84 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. He's still not playing a majority of the snaps, 44% versus 47% for James Washington. But he's got a 16.5% DVOA on the season, so I think it seems like he's just his efficiency and deep, lead, uh, deep play ability is kind of buoying his fantasy value, even when the workload isn't necessarily there. I think he's a deep league option for you right now in fantasy. And then there were two teams on by this week, the Cowboys and the Ravens. I think the one notable player to mention from those teams is Marquise Brown. After missing a few weeks, he's on track to play in Week 9, and he's actually been dropped in about a third of leagues I think he'll be probably a wide receiver two or three for you the rest of the way. So if that is the case, go ahead and pick him up. You'll want to have him over the rest of the season. Okay, that's going to do it for this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. We're available on both iTunes and Google Podcasts, so please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. And then come back in two days to hear my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for Week 9. Thanks so much, and I will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.